This month, two Democratic representatives in Tennessee were expelled over their involvement in gun protests following a deadly school shooting in Nashville. Another barely stayed on by a one-vote margin. The two representatives, who happened to be Black, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, accused the GOP-led House in Tennessee of racism and oppression following their expulsion. I-69, 26 nays. I received the, cons- the concurrence of two-thirds of the members to which the House is entitled in the Constitution of the State of Tennessee. House Resolution 63 is hereby adopted without objection to the motion reached serious table. Pursuant to Article 2, Section 12 of the Constitution of the State of Tennessee, I hereby declare Representative Justin J. Pearson of the 86th Representative District expelled from the House of Representatives of the 103rd General Assembly of the State of Tennessee. Next order, Mr. Clark. House Republicans said it was their leadership during gun control protests that took place on the House floor that led to the two lawmakers' removal, not race. But a few days later, they were voted back in. In Arizona, a representative in the State House is in a similar position. There isn't a decision yet on whether she will be let back in, but we should know something by early next week. Representative Liz Harris, a Republican from Chandler, was expelled from the House of Representatives for disorderly behavior after allowing her guest on an election panel that Harris organized to falsely accuse lawmakers and other officials of taking bribes from a drug cartel. In addition to impacting local elections, bribes and infiltration were used to affect the outcome of the races during the November 3rd, 2020 election including the outcome of the race for Maricopa County Recorder and the outcome of the November 8, 2022 election, race for Governor, Secretary of State and Attorney General. Expulsion is the strictest form of discipline a member of the legislature can face, and it hasn't happened in Arizona in five years. As Representative Harris awaits potential reinstatement, and the two lawmakers from Tennessee swiftly rejoin their colleagues, it begs the question, Is there a better way to put guardrails on ethical behavior by elected officials? Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics and government for the Republic. Today, we're joined by two guests to help us make sense of what's going on. First, I chatted with my Republic colleague, Ray Stern. Ray covers the legislature and has been covering the Representative Liz Harris case closely. Later, ethics scholar John Pellicero discusses the similarities and differences between what happened with the representatives in Tennessee and what happened in Arizona. Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Well, let's start at the top, Ray. Republican Representative Liz Harris was expelled from the legislature after an ethics probe found her engaging in disorderly behavior. What exactly happened and how did this unravel? Liz Harris, she just got elected in November, and she's a a new lawmaker who campaigned heavily on election conspiracy ideas. So I'll just leave it at that there. There's kind of a backstory there. But when she came in, she vowed that she would not vote for anything unless they redid the election because she was so concerned about how the 2022 election had gone, even though she won in her race. And 
So she proceeded to vote no on a budget and sunk this Republican budget. But then something happened where um, apparently she was told that she could have this election presentation as long as she started voting yes on, on the budget and other things. Um, I talked to Ben Toma, the House Speaker, about that. And he said that, yeah, that's pretty much the way it happened, although he was pretty sure that she was going to start voting yes uh, on the budget, even if they hadn't agreed to give her this presentation. So they gave her this time for a presentation, and it followed some presentations on election conspiracy theories that the Senate Election Committee had been having. But in this case, Liz was allowed to sort of prepare her own agenda. And it was the last person on the list for the day in this day-long hearing that really just opened up the fireworks. Basically, on uh, February 23rd, they had this presentation, and Liz had invited this woman named Jacqueline Brager in to talk about what was supposed to be election conspiracy stuff. And this woman, Jacqueline, didn't talk about that. She started talking about this vast criminal conspiracy, and it was all run by these two very powerful women, apparently, who worked with the Sinaloan cartel, and they were engaged in bribing people from lawmakers to the Mesa City Council, and the entire LDS church is somehow involved in this as well. When she started talking about this bribery case and how lawmakers were involved, things started blowing up on this panel that she was addressing this to in a public hearing at the Senate. And, well, it all went south from there. <laughs> and that led then to this ethics complaint. How did that come about? The ramifications of these charges that were made by this guest of Liz Harris's were huge. The allegations mentioned specifically in um, both the presentation the woman put on and also in this packet of material that she gave, specific names of people who had supposedly, you know, were involved in this uh, bribery thing. And um, it was like the governor and, and the secretary of state, Adrian Fontes. Republicans might not have cared if she had just left it there um, and just sort of smeared the Democrats. But the presentation material also talked about how House Speaker Ben Toma was involved in this bribery scheme as well as others. And so there was a sort of a ruckus about it and a Democrat during one of the open House uh, floor sessions tried to do a censure vote that was shut down by Republicans and it was kind of unclear whether they really wanted to do something about what Liz had done. But then the Democrat who made the censure vote, Representative Stephanie Stahl-Hamilton from Tucson, she filed an official ethics complaint with the House Ethics Committee. So that leads to the ethics investigation, which then led to last week's vote to expel Harris. I'm wondering, how common are situations like this? What's the history in the Arizona legislature for expulsions? Well, in the House, there's one other example of it in recent times, and that was in 2018 when Representative Don Shooter from Yuma was uh, accused of, and, and an investigation showed he had sexually harassed several other members of the legislature. So they booted him out in 2018. And if you want to look at just the House, they didn't kick someone out going all the way back to the 1940s. So this is not something that happens a lot. There was at least one person removed in the Senate in the early 90s because of the ASCAM scandal that happened there. But this is not something that happens frequently. And this happened pretty quickly in the House after Stahl Hamilton made her uh, complaint to the Ethics Committee. We've seen other similar issues play out on a longer time frame, like with Shooter, as you mentioned. He didn't come up for an ethics complaint until an investigation had been done, which started months before the actual expulsion vote came about. And Senator Wendy Rogers over in the Senate was referred for an ethics complaint last spring, but nothing came of it. So why did things move so seemingly quick in Harris's case? That's a good question, and I'm not exactly sure 
why they put this on the fast track. But when you just look at the events as they occurred, it seemed like something had to be done, I, I think, to the leadership in the Republican Party. During the, the ethics hearing, Liz Harris was allowed to defend herself and she was asked questions. And she just looked like the biggest liar, honestly, during this session. For instance, there had been um, some text messages that were dropped off to the House, and those became really key in terms of just damning things that were against Liz. And uh, one of them was Liz had told this woman who had brought in the presentation that she thought that she was never going to be allowed to return to the House after this happened. And when asked about that during the Ethics Committee hearing, she said, well, I thought the uh, cartel was going to behead me after that. And so it was answers like that, that, that just, um, and there were several other things that were just sort of outlandish and you just couldn't sit on that for a long time. It was, it was clearly not the truth about what she knew and when she knew it. And so they made their move. Well, and Harris certainly isn't the first legislative member to raise election conspiracy theories. I know that this ethics complaint went beyond conspiracy theories that were raised at the hearing that she um, headed up. But are there wider implications for this vote for the legislature? Or does this seem like it's a, a one-off? Is there anything sort of bubbling that uh, you know of in the background where we might see more such complaints come forward? Hmm, I don't think so. There's, there's just nothing on the horizon that's quite like this. This was a unique situation in so many ways. And you can just get on the inter- internet today um, on to something like Twitter, and you'd see that hashtag arrest Katie Hobbs is still popular right now. There's apparently still many people that believe that uh, there was a cartel bribe. In fact, I was just communicating with one of Liz Harris supporters that uh, is steeped in this conspiracy. She believes that these things should be investigated, not, you know, to kick Liz Harris out, but Liz Harris is doing the work of the people. But really, it's ludicrous when you uh, really look at the facts, because this entire scheme that uh, Liz Harris's guest brought in is all related to this lawyer's divorce case, basically. And the two women that I was talking about, these powerful women that, that were behind this uh, Sinaloan cartel and, and forging all these deeds to, to make the bribes for all the lawmakers. Well, that just happens to be the lawyer's ex-wife and mother-in-law, who he's really ticked at because of he's had a tough divorce and child custody case. <laughs> so maybe this is the last we'll hear of a Sinaloan cartel conspiracy for a while. <laughs> yeah, could be. Although uh, this lawyer, John Thaler, um, he had also uh, accused his wife and mother-in-law of dealing with the Russian mafia. So who knows what's going to come next uh, out of his mouth. Oh, goodness. We're recording this before the precinct committee members in Legislative District 13 meet. They're tasked with coming up with three names to submit to the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors to replace Harris. What are you hearing about potential replacements? Well, there's a couple of potential ideas, basically, but no one knows for sure what the LD13 GOP officials would do until tonight. A former representative, Steve Yarbrough, who's strong conservative, but isn't really steeped in these election conspiracy ideas like Liz Harris, he said that he would be interested. There's another possibility that Julie Willoughby, who's an emergency trauma nurse that ran against Liz Harris and only lost to her by a couple hundred votes, she could be potentially considered. But it'll be interesting to see who they pick because LD13 GOP officials apparently are not very happy about what happened to Liz Harris. And it's possible that they can nominate people who are like her, you know, a little bit of QAnon and election conspiracy and whatnot. But because each of the three nominees has to get over 50% of a vote from all of these people, it's probably not likely that all three of them would be uh, like Liz Harris. And there might be a moderate, uh, so-called moderate in the group. And that's important because the Board of Supervisors will pick which one they want. And the supervisor who covers the Liz Harris's district, Jack Sellers, 
he was targeted by these election conspiracy people during the 2020 election aftermath, and he is not happy whatsoever about this tack that some Republicans have taken. So he would be more likely to choose a moderate, I would say. I should ask, is it possible that Liz Harris could be renominated? It absolutely is. And she could be one of the three. And that would certainly give Jack Sellers an interesting choice that he'd probably make in about two seconds, as in no. The law pretty much tells exactly how much time needs to happen, and it usually has to happen pretty quick. In fact, the GOP officials from Legislative District 13 have to make their decision within five days since the legislature is in session. If it wasn't in session, they would have 21 days. But because it's in session, things have to move pretty quick because the Republicans can't vote on party line votes right now. For instance, they need 31 votes and they only have 30 members. Ray, thanks so much for joining us. If people want to follow your work online, where can they find you? You can still find me at Twitter um, at, at RayStart. Thanks very much for coming in, and we look forward to seeing what the next chapter in Legislative District 13 brings us. Thank you. Joining us now is Dr. John Pellicero. He's the Senior Scholar in Government Ethics at the Marcula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. He talked to the gaggle virtually from Illinois. John, thanks for taking time to talk to the gaggle. Oh, thanks for having me on, Mary Jo. You bet. So we're here to talk about legislative ethics. We've had elected representatives expelled from their legislatures in Arizona and Tennessee in the last two weeks. That's a pretty rare event. Yet we've had three happen, as I said, in the last couple of weeks. What do you make of that? Well, it is as unusual. It's very rare for legislators to, legislatures, I should say, to expel members. But it's a course of action that's usually reserved for some sort of major violation of one's oath of office or uh, the procedures that undergird the work of a legislative body. And in this case, the expulsions played out differently in the two states. In Tennessee, the two Democratic officials were removed by Republicans who hold a supermajority. But here in Arizona, where the GOP legislative majority is very thin, we saw a majority of the members of Liz Harris's own Republican Party reject her. So I'm wondering, to what extent does a party's grip on control affect disciplinary decisions? Does the supermajority, for example, provide a buffer while a narrow margin demands more accountability? Well, I would say that the larger the majority that a party has in a legislative body, the more it's incumbent upon them to ensure fairness in the treatment of the members of the minority party. Uh, What is bothersome about what happened in the case of Tennessee is you have this Republican control of the Tennessee House acting in a way to exact political retribution against uh, legislators who ignored, if you will, some House rules of decorum about being recognized to speak and engaging in a form of protest on the floor of the chamber. These kinds of actions by the three Democratic legislators, uh, Representatives uh, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson and Representative Gloria Johnson, probably warranted some kind of a response from the legislative leadership, but expulsion really seemed to rise far above 
uh, the gravity of the, the rule violations that they committed. So you have you have some political issues at work in what happened in Tennessee, in which the Republicans essentially used their majority to take political revenge against Democrats, three Democrats in this case, and ended up using uh, their actions as a basis to expel two of the three members. Two happened to be African-American legislators, whereas uh, Representative Johnson, who is a, a white representative, was not expelled. So could you expound a little bit on why you think it's even more important and incumbent on a body when it has, when a party has a pretty decisive control to be more vigilant in, in those kind of ethics matters? From both a political and an ethical uh, set of perspectives, it's very important to an element of fairness that an elected majority never utilize their majority in ways that are designed to punish or take revenge, political revenge, against the minority uh, serving in the same legislative body. When our country was founded, the founders knew that there would be times in which there would be a majority that would rule over a small minority. And no matter how small, the founders felt that it was important to always be judicious and fair in dealing with uh, members of the minority party and not to exhibit any pattern of bias against their ability to discharge their duties to represent the minority. And um, what you saw happen in Tennessee is that public officials were using their authority as the legislative majority to not promote what's best for citizens, but rather to advance their own partisan interests and try to reduce the presence of the minority party by expelling potentially three members of the Democratic Party from uh, participating in the legislative body. And the problem with that is that it also violates the rights of voters who chose those individuals to represent them and to raise their voices when they felt it necessary to speak to issues such as the question of gun safety and gun violence that had so recently impacted the citizens of Nashville and, and Tennessee in that school shooting. So in Arizona, where the situation is different with a very narrow majority, does that speak better of how they conducted themselves, given that it was a majority of the Republican members, along with all the Democrats, that voted to expel Representative Harris? Well, I think there are a couple of differences in Arizona from what happened in Tennessee. First of all, the uh, representative Liz Harris, who was removed from the Arizona House, had actually misused her legislative power and had abused a legislative hearing uh, on a public policy question by inviting testimony from an individual who is a known conspiracy theorist and allowed lies, mistruths, and discredited conspiracy theories to be introduced into the legislative deliberations. The Ethics Committee of the Arizona House actually found that uh, she had violated at least five of the rules of either her office uh, as an elected official or the rules of the Arizona House. And they judged that misuse of public authority to uh, be so serious 
as to rise to the level where the representative should be removed from the Arizona House. You know, one of the things they pointed to, and that is the the ethics committee of the Arizona House, which is a Republican majority control, and the person they removed is a Republican. But they did so in a bipartisan way because the evidence suggested that she had misled the committee, uh, the committees that uh, the testimony was being presented to. She had misled the ethics committee about her knowledge of what this conspiracy theorist would be saying to the legislative committee. And, you know, she ignored her office to fairly represent the citizens of her district and Arizona in a fair way. I think one of the contrasts here, Mary Jo, between the two cases is that in the case of Arizona, the legislator was acting in an unethical fashion. And in the case of Tennessee, it's really the legislature, the legislative body controlled by the Republican majority that acted in an unethical fashion. That's a really good point. If it's the legislature that acted unethically, what's the check on that? Well, the check on that is going to be the voters in the next election. Uh, and they'll have to decide whether they believe they have enough trust in the Republicans to serve as the majority and to be able to make these kinds of uh, decisions in a fair and impartial way. And um, I think the protests that we saw as a result of what happened in Tennessee suggests that the trust that the public presently had in the Tennessee legislators has been seriously eroded as a result of the actions they took against the two representatives. You know, it strikes me that in Arizona, there was a committee process which resulted in a recommendation, which then led to the expulsion vote. I don't know what the process was in Tennessee. Did they have a similar kind of vetting? The process that unfolded in Tennessee was much more abbreviated. The Speaker of the Tennessee House took action immediately against the three representatives and canceled their access to the Tennessee House while the Republican majorities worked through a set of resolutions to remove them uh, from office for what they participated in. And now, after all that, the two Tennessee lawmakers, as everybody probably knows, were pretty quickly reinstated. And in Arizona, Harris is one of three candidates who will be considered to fill the vacancy that her expulsion created. I'm wondering what this immediate kind of bounce back says about trust in the decisions that the legislative bodies made. It's a, a serious question of you know the virtues of protecting the rights of the voters, the citizens who've chosen these individuals. The message that comes back from Nashville and Memphis in the quick uh, response of their local governments to restore Representatives Jones and Pearson to office really says that the constituents of these two uh, representatives rejected the partisan basis for their removal from office and believe that it should have been a decision that um, only the voters could make at an appropriate time uh, when there is an election. The legislature in Tennessee really was unethical and violated the trust that people have in the role of a legislative body by using uh, the power of the Republican majority to discharge two representatives who had been duly elected by uh, the people and did not commit 
personal ethical violations or legal violations that would have risen to the level where their expulsion would be justified. Yeah, it's interesting. We have yet to see in Arizona what will happen with Liz Harris being one of the nominees to replace herself, if you would. But that certainly speaks to the will of the precinct committeemen in her legislative district who decided that they want to give her another go at the office. It does raise a question of like, you know, who who makes that decision ultimately? Well, you know, ultimately in, in a representative democracy, we'd like to believe that the people get to make those decisions. But if there is an egregious legal or ethical violation by a sitting public official in a legislative body, then it is oftentimes a role given to the elected representatives to make that decision in terms of what's best for the legislature as a whole. And, um, you know, in this case, they looked at the actions of Representative Harris in Arizona and judged her actions to be improper, unethical, and perhaps illegal as well, and removed her from office. And now, as a decision has to be made about how to fill her seat on an interim basis, it'll be interesting to see whether her actions will be taken into full account before a decision is made to determine who will succeed her and whether she would even be seriously considered to be uh, selected to replace herself. Yeah, stay tuned for that. We might know that by early next week. And also then looking at this whole situation more broadly um, and what we've learned from this, can we trust legislative bodies to police themselves and patrol themselves? Is, is there a better method than sort of self-governance on that issue? Well, you could have an independent inspector general uh, that would oversee the legislative body. But in most legislatures in the states, there is an ethics committee that serves typically in each of the chambers of a state uh, legislature and has the duty to, in objective fashion, in as much as possible, a nonpartisan fashion, to make decisions about ethical lapses or potential ethical lapses by uh, legislators, and then use that as a basis to determine that the person is not suitable or remains uh, suitable to represent the people of a district. Well, John, thanks for going over this with us. It's been a really hectic two weeks, and um, we've yet to see the finale, I guess, in, in Arizona. If um, people want to follow you on social media, how do they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter um, at one pel, one P-E-L. And is that with a numeral or spelled out? Uh, with a numeral, yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much again for joining us on The Gaggle. Thank you for having me. That is it for this week, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions you want us to answer or topics you want us to cover? Reach out to us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com or give us a call at 602-444-0804. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. To make sure you never miss an episode, follow The Gaggle on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. The editor and producer of today's episode is Amanda Luberto. You can follow her at 
Amanda Luberto. That's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and ACCentral.com. We'll see you next week.